0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you
1: The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated and where practical support is available to all Aboriginal women who are currently experiencing family violence or have in the past. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler the answer is always yes. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that in addition to being a hardline feminist and tough love big sister from another mister, I adore makeup, I also adore skincare, and experimenting with different looks. In fact, some of the questions I receive most as an erstwhile big sister are about my skincare routine. If this sounds like you too, you're gonna to love Adore Beauty's Beauty IQ Uncensored podcast. Every week, Adore Beauty's Joanna and Hannah get real about the unairbrushed aspects of beauty, from what retinol actually does to what to do about foot fungus and how you manage your bum hair. Funny, educational, Beauty IQ Uncensored is everything I love in a podcast, and I know you will too. So if you have a burning desire to find out what's, well, burning in your underpants, check it out. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. But on to this week's show. We've all had that experience of discovering a woman so energising, so ferocious and so fucking life-affirming that it feels in the moment like we've discovered a completely new colour we'd previously never known existed. A woman who we'd follow into battle. That's precisely how I felt when I first encountered this week's guest. She's a writer, poet, speaker and BBC radio presenter from London who's partnered with numerous institutes and corporations to produce challenging feminist art and campaigns. She's a Muslim woman of colour who speaks out unapologetically about navigating womanhood in a patriarchal world and her work centres around female storytelling and giving voice to the people history has for so long ignored. She is Salma El Wadani.
0: Hello, <laughs> I love that bit that you said about you would follow me into battle because it's my whole mission on this life is to produce an army of women so vast that we storm the institutions that have so long held us captive. Uh, and all I ever wanna do is march, so let's go.
1: Well, when you just let me know when you're storming at all because I, I will be there with an axe, with a bow and hopefully with a whole bunch of dudes heads on
0: spikes. (laughs) I am delighted at that image. (laughs) I just want to give some
1: background to uh, because most of the podcast listeners are Australian so they're probably encountering you for the first time which is wonderful because the more as you said the more women we can amass into an army and that army has to be international of course uh, then the better. And the first time I, I saw you was when I was in London last year and I I'd just arrived the day before. And so I was kind of jet lagged in my hotel and I turned on morning television and Jeremy Kyle was on. And and for Jeremy Australian Vine. Jeremy Vine, sorry. Yeah. So for Australian listeners, Jeremy Vine's morning show is kind of like it's like one of those sort of paint by numbers um morning shows that you find everywhere, all over the world, where you've got a host and then they invite a panel of guests and you discuss issues of the day. And so I was watching and uh, the, a topic of, uh, you know, to do with sexism or something or other came up and one of the women on the panel, not you, this other woman who I don't want to shame too much but who we've all met a woman like this. She is the woman who has never experienced sexism in her life. She loves being catcalled. Uh, she finds it really flattering. She finds it complimentary, etc., etc. I mean, she is the patriarchy's official woman. And you were sitting next to her and I could see, I was yelling at the TV and I could see that you were getting more and more uh, furious, (laughs) steam coming out of your ears. But of course when you're on television you have to keep it together and you as well being a Muslim woman of colour has to be extra especially conscious about how you lose your temper on national television. And you just sort of single-handedly kind of destroyed her entire argument in a very eloquent way. And in a way I thought that was incredibly powerful on morning television because you brought real life scenarios into it to do with the actual violence that women experience that you have experienced yourself and I was just like fuck man I've got to meet this woman she is my new like battle leader obviously
0: (laughs) yeah what I actually wanted to do was turn around and just say oh fuck off Karen She's not called Karen, but that is absolutely (laughs) my response. But I did think, can't swear on on national TV and I'm a broadcaster, so I'm always aware of that swear line. Um, And it was when she turned around and I did lose it a bit. It's the only time I've genuinely really kind of lost it on TV because I came off and I was trembling. I was physically trembling. I was so in my emotions about it because it was the moment she turned around to me and she said, it's your choice whether you're oppressed as a woman. And I just saw red. And I just thought, I've never chosen the violence that has happened to me as a woman. I've never chosen. Tell me which woman walks up to anyone and thinks, I would like to be in an abusive relationship for X amount of years, because that will do wonderful things for me. The idea that we could choose and opt in and out of the oppression that women face just sent me over the edge. Um, But, you know, you're right. She is absolutely the patriarchy spokeswoman. Spokesperson.
1: One of the most powerful things that you said was, was it my choice to be in an abusive relationship and was it my choice to be raped? And I thought, fuck man, to, to come on morning television and state the reality in that way. And if the majority of audience members of that program would be wom- women, it means that you're speaking to an audience of women who've experienced that as well and to have you there advocating for them must have been hugely powerful
0: yeah because we don't say those things do we when we when we talk about abuse and rape we talk about it in dark corners between women in private so it's never spoken out loud it's never spoken in front of men we don't say hey i was raped casually in a conversation because it's such a taboo subject and that's always infuriated me and i had honest to god i went on that show and it was the first time i publicly spoke about being raped in that way because I'd never spoken about it before and I I had no intention of doing it but I just thought how dare you turn around and say that something like someone raping me was my fucking choice like how dare the statistics are one in four women globally right and that's going to be higher because of unreported cases okay like how dare you suggest that all these women who have had male violence Mm -hmm. and men come and steal things from them in that way that they opted into that and I just thought this cannot stand like I'm just going to say this out loud because I hate the notion that other women could have been watching and could have been going maybe I could have done something to avoid it. We already have that thought process. We already battle with that every single day of our lives. I refuse to solidify that or consolidate that thought process in any way. And if that means putting myself on the line, I'll do it every single time.
1: Mm. Did you receive any feedback from women after that moment?
0: Yeah. So they clipped up that, that exact piece as well, um, after they asked me to be fair and I said yes absolutely this is a conversation that needs to be had and they clipped it up and it, it got about 95,000 views and I got trolled by about half of them there were still people who could turn around and say I was talking rubbish that you know this other woman had excellent points that you know oppression was a choice which just blew my head off but then the other half were women who said Thank you so much for saying that. I can never say that out loud. I'm not in a position to even acknowledge that publicly. Thank you. Or even with my circle of friends, thank you for just saying it because it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And I thought, if one woman feels like that, then my work here is done. But to have, you know, half of 95,000 um, people come to me and say, I'm so glad you said that. that, that, that mm. was, I was like, cool. And the work is done here.
1: Mm. This is one of the... Uh major harms that is done by patriarchals uh, sorry patriarchy's official women and that is that they I mean we can we can say as much as we like well they are responding to patriarchy and navigating patriarchy in a way that minimizes harm to themselves but I, I think that's true for most women who try to play that role but for a woman who has a lot of privilege she's obviously got a platform she's she's a broadcaster in some sense um, I think at that point, is, that's the point where we say, well, no, I'm not going to give you a pass and I'm, I'm going to expect better of you and better from you because I think one of the great harms that they do is they do provide that excuse to men who want to prop up patriarchy and men who hate women and men who want to do whatever they, they want to do to women. They can turn around and point at Karen, as you say, and say, well, she made some great points. And if I think that she made some great points and if I wanna listen to her, then how can I possibly hate women?
0: Exactly, and in doing so, she then gives permission to all these men to continue exactly the way that they are without ever having to hold them to account. And the truth is, late at night, Karen knows deep down that she has been oppressed by men. She fucking knows it. It's a truth she cannot hide from, but this is how she's now chosen to navigate the world and survive. And I get that, but I'm still gonna tell you that you're wrong. I'm never gonna tear her down in the same way I would tear down a guy, but I'm gonna tell you that what you're doing is wrong and why this thought process is fucked. And I'm gonna highlight that. But she knows, like I think deep down, you absolutely do. Like I had another friend who said to me, I don't believe women are oppressed. And I just thought, cool, you're doing, and you're doing what you need to do and you're on your journey, fine. I think you're terribly and deeply wrong, but you've got internalised trauma here somewhere. And that's where you're at. Because I've also had friends who, who have come up to me in recent years and said, I always thought you were just a bit much and you were always going on about it and you were overreacting. But now that I'm working in corporate and I'm working in an office, I understand every single thing that you said. Well, now that I'm in this situation, I absolutely agree with what you said. And I'm like, cool. It took you 10 years to get here. Fine. At least you've got here in the end and that's where you're at. Like the, you're on your journey, right? And sometimes they're never going to get there. And that's the depressing yeah. thing. Like some of those Karens are never going to be there. Um, so it's just our job to do everything that we can to take the people that we can with us, however long it takes.
1: Mm. This is one of the things that I find so... you know, life-affirming and reassuring about feminism and about the women I have found in feminism and the sense of being seen within feminism by other people who recognise that your life is real, it's really happened the way that you have experienced it, that, you know, the gaslighting that we are conditioned into doing to ourselves right from childhood, from adolescence, is stripped away once we realise that actually there are all of these other women around that can affirm it and say, yes, it happened to me too. And one of the things I love about feminism is how we say, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. We will, we will And it doesn't matter if you hate me for what I say. It doesn't matter if you hate me because it makes you feel um, complicit in some way or exposed in some way. It makes you feel insecure that men might point to you and say, well, she's like that, so so what are you like? That sort of hypersensitivity that some of those official women get that men might think that they're the enemy, it doesn't matter if you think any of that because we're going to keep fighting for you anyway until the day that you do get it and the day that you do turn around and say, I'm here, what do you need me to do?
0: Absolutely, and that's what I always maintain, even though you can 't see it i 'll still fight for your rights mm. absolutely, mm. Yeah, because that's the thing the language of womanhood has been silence for so long, so you're right, it's so affirming to have other women go hey i 'm here, and i've I've gone through it as well and this is this is where i 'm at, and i 've experienced this, and then you can go cool, and then slowly bit by bit, you all join and band together, and then we create our fucking army so.
1: Mm. Let's talk about that language of silencing that uh, women throughout history have experienced, that women listening to this show definitely experience, that potentially some men who listen to this show have perpetrated, um, Mm. knowingly or not knowingly or unknowingly, Um, and that certainly you and I have experienced in terms of the work that we do. You recently posted something on Instagram, um, a very powerful piece about hating men, and people saying, well, why do you hate men? And a lot of feminists, well, a lot of women and feminists even, respond to that question by insisting, no, I don't hate men. Of course, I think that most men are wonderful, et cetera, because that's what we've been taught to do, partly as a survival mechanism and partly because even the fiercest of feminists amongst us still has that deep conditioning in her to make sure that men like her or that men don't consider her a hostile enemy in any, in any way. But the piece that you wrote said, these are all the reasons why I hate men. This, this is what men has done to me. These are the things that I've suffered because of men. These are the things that my, my, the women in my line have suffered because of men. And this is why I hate them. So you posted that, incredibly powerful, had a huge response, and then Instagram took it down twice. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, it's been removed because apparently... It condo- it's hate speech and it doesn't fit in with their community guidelines and so they removed it once and I thought this is just outrageous this cannot this cannot be standing how can you be removing this posted it again and it got removed last night um it gets it stays up for about 24 hours and then they removed it yesterday and honestly I I'm ready to march <laughs> again <laughs> and you this is exactly it it's the question feminists get all the time if you're fighting for female liberation you get asked it. And it's that really classic thing that we do when you're fighting for one group of people, everyone assumes that you hate everyone else. It's why everyone says, oh, well, all lives matter when people start talking about black lives or, you know, it's where, where, why do you hate men? Okay, here's the thing. And I sit and I think about women and I think about our oppression and I think about everything we've suffered. I think about the things my five girlfriends around me have suffered. And I think, well, the question shouldn't be, why do you hate men? The question should be, how can you stop hating men because of course it's natural for you to hate men if that is what has happened to you like why don't men come up to me and go oh my god what can we do so that you don't hate us because you are so within your rights to hate us after Mm. everything we have done to you and all the women around you that's never the question right and so I wanted to just talk about it and and The thing that I posted on Instagram was part of a series, my Dear Men series, and it is addressing men and it's talking to men because I think they're the people we need to be having conversations with because yes, you and I, Clementine, we can sit here and talk about how shit men are, but we're already at the destination. We're already there. We get it. We understand. When I say to you, I hate men, Clementine, you know exactly why I hate men. That's not a fucking puzzling question to you, but men don't. So I'm like, cool, let me address you. Let me talk to you. And the fact that Instagram have taken it down twice and called it hate speech. I literally said in that post, I hate men because I come from a line of rape women. It is in our family. It's handed down like a fucking generational piece of jewelry from my grandmother to my mother to me. I said that on Instagram and they said, this is hate speech. And it's just another example of these huge platforms and how the system is wired against us. Every which way we turn, it's wired against us. And when we talk about silence in women, generally women think, oh, I haven't been silenced because they think, oh, I haven't gone up against, you know, a media platform that have shut me down. Or I haven't been in a position of authority in like government and then been shut down for it. I will say this and I maintain this. We are all more silenced than we ever imagine, And we never really tap into how silenced we are because it's fucking overwhelming to actually think about how much we shut up and put up. You're silenced in your relationship. As women, because of our conditioning, The man opposite you, and I'm talking about heteronormative relationships, the man opposite you says something and you're like, oh, but I don't want to upset him. Where does that come from? Because he doesn't give a fucking shit about saying whatever he wants to you. And I'm talking about the good guys. I'm talking about the ones who are lovely and great and wonderful. Yes, we know. But you are still silenced because you're programmed to put their needs, wants and desires before yours. You're silenced in the bedroom when you kind of want to do something kinky, but you think, actually, you might think I'm a bit of a whore, so I'm not going to do that even though he's a good guy and he's going to make you a cup of tea and a sandwich afterwards, you are more silenced than you can ever imagine. And this is just another glaring example of just how much women have to shut up and not highlight their oppression. And once we do, once we start saying rape and we start bringing it out of the shadows and into the light, they're like, no, 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 no. This is not going to stand. Currently in Cairo, there's this huge Me Too reckoning happening. And it all started because an Instagram account, um, called the sexual assault police, started documenting the cases of this guy who'd raped over a hundred women and girls. Instagram are actively removing posts or actively banning some of their posts right now. Tell me we are not silenced.
1: And the silence that you the silencing that you talk about that we participate in ourselves because we've been so conditioned into it is not just about what we don't say. It's about how many, how much of our words we give over to ensuring that men listening to us never have to feel complicit in any way. How many times have you heard women preface talking about their shitty fucking loser partners, partners, quote-unquote partners. I just had a big rant on Instagram today about how we need to stop saying partners because most men don't deserve the title. Wow. Um, yes. You know, they just, we do all the work and then they just get naming rights. Um, but everything has to be prefaced with, oh, he's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. Most, most men are wonderful. So in the end you're devoting 30% of your conversation, 30% of the already lesser a lot of time that you have to speak you're devoting that to ensuring that every single man listening to you gets to pat himself on the back just because he turned up and didn't tune you out but he will let you know if he's uncomfortable with what you've said
0: absolutely oh my god this happened to me last night my friend picked me up from work we had a chat we were talking and i said yeah but obviously you know men are shit and you know how i feel about men uh, and he's like apart from like me your co-host and, and these people so that's three out three out of a million and I was like, why, why does that even need to be highlighted? If you know you're not part of the men are shit, men are trash. If you know you don't fall into that category, just shut up because it doesn't apply to you. I don't see things and then go, excuse me, excuse me, but that's not me because it just doesn't apply to me. So I ignore it. I know I'm not that person. When they talk about murderers, I'm not like, but I'm not a murderer. I'm not, that's not me. Cause it's obvious. Because it's a given, because it's we all know. So why do you feel the need to keep dragging it back to the fact that you're a good guy? And you're not that good anyway.
1: Oh, uh, exactly. And I love that you point that out. I love that you say, I'm not talking about the quote unquote bad guys. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your bros. I'm talking about your your good friends. I'm talking about your brothers. I'm talking about your sons. Because let's face it, you know, people want to divert male violence towards this myth of like the male monster that peels out of the walls and attacks us and you know when we've just accidentally walked into a bad weather pattern um you know because of course it's our fault but it's it's that's not what makes up male violence it's so banal male violence is so banal and the thing that i always come back to is not just so the question should never be why do you hate men, or even though it's so persistently and boringly repeated at us over and over and over, never with any kind of acknowledgement, as you said, of the reasons why women might hate men, but also why does no one ever ask, how is it that men can hate women so much? How can they hate women so much? And then say, knowing how much men hate women, how is it that we keep keep turning up and putting in the work to try and make those men better, even when they throw it back in our face. And I just wanted to read this great quote from Andrea Dworkin who wrote, I don't believe rape is inevitable or natural. If I did, I would have no reason to be here. If I did, my political practice would be different than it is. Have you ever wondered why women are not just in armed combat against you? It's not because there's a shortage of kitchen knives in this country. It's because we believe in your humanity against all the evidence.
0: How beautiful is that? And how on the money is that? Because when you think about it, we could tear it all down. The things that we could do to men for the the crimes against us, we Mm. could. But yet, despite it all, we still turn up and go, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to try and love you through all of your oppression and all of the bullshit that you've put on my shoulders I'm still turning up to love you and I love that point that you said about men can hate women and they are never asked the question why do you hate women who who has ever asked a man oh sorry why do you hate women no one because it's a given and you're allowed to but we're not allowed to hate men because we should love them and just fall at their feet right
1: Uh that's what was so powerful. I mean, amongst all of the powerful things she does, but so powerful about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's response to Yoho, you know, to say, to stand there in Congress and say, thank you. Thank you for showing the world that men who have wives and daughters hate women too, and can abuse women too. And, and also one, one of the things that really moved me, I'm not sure what your relationship with your father is like, but I'm often accused of having daddy issues, of course, because I'm a, big old scary man hating feminists so I must have had a dad that just abused the shit out of me and you know what a lot of women fucking hate men because of that too um my dad for all of the you know political problems we might have with each other he raised daughters like AOCs to not put up with abuse from men Uh, well let me rephrase that because of course it's not a question of putting up with it but to at least believe that it wasn't what we deserved or it wasn't what we, what we could expect. And so when she stood in, in that room and said, I am a daughter too, I'm somebody's daughter too, and my parents raised me not to tolerate abuse from men. I thought that's, that's a really fucking powerful thing for women to see as well. And there's a really distressing tweet that has gone around since then from someone who said that watching that made them realize that their parents did raise her to expect abuse from men and to put up with it. And I think that that's been a real moment for women as well to reflect on what it is they were taught that they could expect in terms of care for them and in terms of what they needed to provide to men. We are having, you know, we're lancing the boil right now. And that's why so many men are so fucking afraid of it because we're seeing what they, we are seeing what's in their hearts.
0: Yeah, the power structure is trembling and they can feel it. And this goes back to the fact that we're not talking about the monsters. We're not talking about, you know, these men who grab women in the street who every other guy would say is a terrible human. We are talking about you. We're talking about your fathers, your brothers, your uncles, the mates that you know. I've got I've got wonderful guy mates, they're brilliant. They still don't go to therapy. They still make their girlfriends do all of the emotional labor. I know an, a brilliant man who I've got so much respect for. He's an incredible talent. Still won't go down on women. Still thinks that's something that's wrong and dirty and he won't do that. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking about you because all of these tiny, tiny little ways, they break our back. They add up to this insurmountable weight on top of us and it continuously holds us down. And I said this when I wrote about it, I said, you don't have to have a hand around our throat to hold us down. You're doing it anyway in all of these tiny acts, which is exactly what AOC was saying as well. Look, you guys are doing it in these tiny little things. Is Yoho going out and, I don't know, beating up women in the street? Probably not, that we know of. But he does turn out to a woman in the street and call her a fucking bitch.
1: And do you know what? Men who do go home and beat their wives watch him as he says it and think, yeah, you tell her. Exactly should we get to the questions
0: god let's just burn the whole thing down and then let's do it yeah
1: (laughs) okay i mean obviously i could speak to you for the next five million years about this but we will come back to some of these topics in these questions uh so let's do it Please note, my disclaimer in very big flashing lights, that neither I nor Salma are doctors, counsellors, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called a life experience, and who are absolutely done with men's fucking shit.
0: (laughs) We're just two pissed off women.
1: Feminist Girlfriend asks, I've been reflecting on my feminist stance a lot lately and have been questioning having people in my life who don't follow the same values. My partner and I have been together for four years and I absolutely adore him. He is my best friend and one of the only men I actually like in my life. Last date night, I thought it would be a good idea to question his feminism and have a conversation about whether he's an active feminist. He felt as if I pushed him into a corner, but was totally understanding in me trying to get my point of view across. My question is, what can I do to keep encouraging my male partner to get educated in feminism when sometimes it feels as if I'm pushing it down his throat? Salma.
0: There's never been a man who has worried about pushing his cock too far down your throat. So I don't know why you're worried about pushing anything down his throat, if I'm honest.
1: I mean, I couldn't say it better myself. There's never been a man who's worried about pushing his opinion down a woman's throat. But yes, also. Just quickly actually, on that on that note, and this is kind of a dark thing to say, but I think it's true. My friend and I were talking the other night about why it's so uncomfortable for men to hear women or one of the reasons why it's so uncomfortable for men to hear women talking about rape culture and sexual violence mm-hmm. and why they, you know, they continuously need to be given that excuse and that past that, of course, I'm not talking about you, blah, 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 blah. And she said, uh, well, my, my th- position at first was, I think it's because the thought of raping someone has come into every single man's head unbidden in the same way that the thought of whether or not we could kill someone has come into our heads because this is just the ego thinking that happens to us. We think of the worst things that could possibly happen and whether or not we could do them. For men obviously having that thought is, well, for some of them potentially very uncomfortable. But also maybe it speaks to something inside themselves. You know, How many women do you know who've, gone home with a guy or met a guy, particularly in the age of internet dating, great guy, feminist guy, knows all the right things to say and then without asking her fucking permission, he chokes her or he slaps her or he spits on her or he calls her a whore or whatever it is and you know that it's not a dynamic in which she is meant to be experiencing pleasure at all, that his pleasure is because of her degradation without her consent. So this kind of, um, this thing that maybe is being stoked in men when you have these conversations is actually not, well, I feel offended that she's recognizing me as not that guy, but that he's thinking, does she see that I maybe am that guy? And my friend's thought was that almost all men have had one moment where a woman has said, stop. And he's thought a flash of a second, should I just keep
0: going? Absolutely. And that's what it boils down to, isn't it? That's where the discomfort comes from that is i couldn't have put it better in any other way that's absolutely it going back to this question though yes going back to this question
1: when i when i read this one of the things that jumped out to me about it was all that language that we were talking about before the needing to needing to lay a fucking red carpet out for the boyfriend to walk down before you broach any of the potential problems that you have. Everyone listening needs to understand that he's a great, and I, to the you know feminist girlfriend, I mean, this is no slight against you. You know that this is a tough love show. Uh, I'm sure he is wonderful in many ways, but it is interesting that you feel the need to proceed this conversational topic with making sure that everyone
0: involved in this show knows that he's really great. Right, and this is what I always say, Confront the notion that the guys that you think are the good guys aren't that good. In fact, confront the notion that all those people that you think are the feminists and that are great and they, you know, they ain't shit. Use that as your starting point and then go from there because that's the reality. Because what we're doing is when we're starting from, okay, I've got a problem with my boyfriend, but he's this good guy and he's a feminist and he's one of the only guys that I like. You're starting from a false reality and you can't work from a false reality. You need to start from the actual reality, which is he's done the work or he hasn't. That's all, that's, that's all men are. Have you done the work or have you not? So it sounds like he's still got a lot of work to do. And I don't think personally, my advice here is don't hold back. And, you know, you started by saying this guy is one of your best friends. You know, there's not a thing that I can't talk about with my best mates. Or I can't say to the men in my life who are really good friends because we have a solid foundation. So I know that I'm not going to say anything, and then they're going to be like, "Oh, oh my God!" So him getting touchy is his patriarchal reaction, right? So he obviously needs to do more work. And it's so interesting, like you said, Clementine. Like you know, you took him out for dinner. You rolled out the red carpet. There was no way you randomly brought it up in the supermarket because you thought, wait, I need to wait until he's in a good mood in a good space and we have the time. You You made sure he was emotionally and mentally in the right space to have that conversation and then you brought it up, right? You created a perfect situation. You're already doing massive amounts of labor. I would say push it down his throat. If he is such a good fucking guy, He can take it. He can take it every time. He can take it for the next six months because he should recognize that actually as a man, he has untold privilege and he hasn't done enough work to dismantle that. And any discomfort that is arising is because he's still, and is an indicator that he needs to do a lot more work. That's your answer right there. Don't hold back. This goes back to silencing ourselves as well. Like you are silencing yourself in that relationship because now you're like, oh, I don't want to be too full on. I, I am furious every single fucking day in every fucking conversation with men and i will never not take an opportunity to point out how shit they actually are from my father to my brother to my male friends to my lovers to my exes i will tell you across the board and that is what changes consistency you have to practice to be good at anything it's so true it's so true this if they can if they're worth it they can take
1: it and one of the things that always depresses me i mean i get it for women who are attracted to men for them to tolerate being in heterosexual relationships they have to convince themselves that it's okay that he's great that there's just this one thing this one tiny little thing that maybe he's not so great on and that's actually recognizing her as a human being in (laughs) in respect and the worst there is not i mean Maybe he's really nice to you in some ways. Maybe he behaves like a good boyfriend or whatever it is, and this is for everyone listening. But does he actually acknowledge and honour your experience as a woman living under patriarchy by not just listening to you talk about feminism but by reading books about it, by consuming content about it, and by fucking asking you questions about your life? You know, this lack of curiosity that men have about not just about women's lives in general but about the women that they claim to love, Mm. the lack of curiosity they have
0: is mind-blowing. Absolutely. And I talk about this with my male friends as well. And my male friends sit around me and are so supportive. They agree with what I'm saying. They are there for the fight. They are good guys. But then I turn around to them and I go, you're in a senior position at work how many women are in the boardroom with you? And did you fight to get more women in that boardroom? No, you fucking didn't. You said nothing when you got paid more than your female counterparts for doing the same job. You said nothing when there were six men in a meeting and not a single female senior manager. You said nothing when the guy in the street heckled another woman across the road and made her uncomfortable, you kept walking. So don't fucking come back to me now and just show up when you're in conversation with me I wanna know what you do when I am not in the room. When I am not there, what does your work look like? If you are not fighting patriarchy, when it's just you and your lads, when all the lads are in the pub around the pints and someone goes, oh yeah, I'd fucking ruin her or I'd fucking take that bitch. What do you say? What do you do to call out those boys and go, actually, lads, That's not appropriate, and we shouldn't be talking to women like that. Why don't we have a conversation about why you think it's okay to say that and where that comes from? Are you doing that labor when I'm not there? I don't give a shit what lip service you pay me when I'm in the room. I need to know that when my back is turned, you are on the front line. Otherwise, you ain't shit.
1: Goodness is neutrality that people say, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm not actively doing these things. Therefore, I must be good. When actually, no, you're just nothing. You're just neutral. (laughs) And if it's easier for you to ignore, the privilege that you have. And this is for everyone who experiences privilege. You know, if it's easier for you to ignore it and not think and, or tell yourself, well, the reason that this room is full of men is because we must've all worked really, really hard to get here. And I wouldn't want to suggest to any of them that they don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also, we wrap this question up quickly, but I also look at this and I think you've been together for four years and you're clearly a feminist and you say you're reflecting on your feminist stance and you really want to surround yourself by people who have the same values as you, which is fucking great. I mean, four years is a long time for this to not be a very core part of your relationship. It's clearly a core part of who you are. It's a core part of your political understanding of living as a human being in this world, and yet it doesn't seem to be a central tenet. Of the relationship that you have with this man, and maybe that is because, as, as Salma, as you've said, we do silence ourselves, and we don't want to, you know, quote unquote, push things down people's throat, and we're worried that if we're too bolshy that men in a patriarchy will be like, oh, "I don't like it. It's not nice. I don't like it." But this is so. This is the advice I think that you and I are both giving this little sister, and that is that you can love this man. You can want to be with this man. You can even think that many aspects of this man are wonderful. But when you start asking the question of how do I keep gently encouraging him to see me as a human being whose experience of life matters enough for him to care to learn more about it, then there's kind of a problem there. So you need to go to him and say, I love you. I think you're wonderful. I hate almost all men, but you're one of the ones that I don't hate. But – for, for this relationship really to work, you need to express more of a commitment to the status of me in this world and the status of women in this world than you currently are. Because at the moment it feels like it's annoying to you. And what you're saying then is that my, my political framework is inconvenient to you. I mean, how does that work in a life that you choose to live with someone? And if you do end up having children together, I can tell you 100% that that will get worse.
0: Absolutely. It's only exacerbated. And I think for this little sister, she is on her journey too. So four years ago, her feminist politics might not have been as evolved and they've clearly maybe evolved and they've got stronger and bigger. And that happens to a lot of women in relationships with men is that their feminism evolves and the guys opposite them doesn't. So this is a question of he's either prepared to evolve along this journey with you and continue it with you, or he's not. And then you have to make a radical decision about whether that's the man that you want to build a life with. Because, like Clem says, every single thing that is going to come up in future as more responsibilities, more mortgages, as houses and pensions, and as it all adds up, it's only going to be exacerbated if his feminist politics aren't aligned.
1: Mm. And you know, just finally put Put the onus back on him. Say if he wants to be in a relationship with you, then he needs to do this work. It's not your job to hold his hand through it. It's his job to educate himself. And if he can't do that, that indicates to you pretty clearly what his commitment to the relationship is. Absolutely. Anxiously Attached wants to know, do you think you can immediately be friends with an ex? I've just mutually broken up with my boyfriend. We've lived together for two years, which is pretty much the entirety of our relationship. We're 26 and 28, and he's still very much a boy's boy. I have spent a long time attempting to educate him on mental health, feminism, white privilege, etc., Not sure I ever really got anywhere, and he never made any attempt to learn on his own. It's ultimately got to the point where I have enough self-respect to not share my life with someone who doesn't share my values, can't support me, and who gaslights me. He wants the cool girl, quote unquote, cool girl, and our, in brackets, his communication was poor. He's not a bad person. I think we're both just in a place where we need to work out our own mental health issues and grow into our own people." In a month I'm going to live alone, I'm learning to love myself and massively leaning into my feminist fire and I'm excited for myself but there's still a lot of love there between us and I think we've reassured ourselves about the breakup with, well, neither of us is dying, we'll still be friends, we'll still be there for each other. But I've been reading about how the chemicals in your brain work when you break up, the idea being that by still seeing or speaking to this person I'm feeding the attachment and not allowing myself to properly move on. So I guess my question is, is it healthy to keep this person in my life? I sort of see it as weaning ourselves off of each other rather than going cold turkey and as a redefining of our relationship. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Salma, what are your thoughts?
0: You said he's not a bad guy, but he doesn't sound like a good guy. (laughs) He doesn't sound particularly particularly great. And my question is, why do you want him in your life as a friend? You've absolutely grown apart. This is a man who's gaslit you. Why do you want him in your life? Is it just a reassurance and a safety blanket because you're familiar with him for the last two years? This sounds like familiarity. And you said as well about not going cold turkey. Fucking love a bit of cold turkey. I think there's a lot of value in cold turkey. I think there's a lot to be learned and gained from cold turkey. I don't think you can be friends with your ex straight away. I don't think it's healthy. I think you do need space and time just to also gather yourself and detangle yourself from a man. And because regardless of how much we wanted to or not, we do become tangled up in the men opposite us, consciously and subconsciously. You need time to pull away and time to figure out who you are without his opinions. And his opinions being ones that have gaslit you and that aren't very, that are a bit laddie, boys, boys, not very progressive. So I don't really think you need those opinions in your life. I say go cold turkey and talk to him in a year's time for coffee and see how you feel about that man. And my guess is in about a year, two years, three years, he is not going to be in your life and he's going to be somebody you used to know.
1: I could not agree with you more. I feel like this is the kind of relationship that um, with definitely little sister listening, I do not want this to come across as condescending, but, you know, I'm 13 years older than you and I feel like this is the kind of relationship that feels it's very important for you to maintain that friendship when you've just come out of it when you're in your 20s because you haven't yet, I guess, (laughs) been disappointed by so many men or been able to kind of like unlearn all of that learning that we've been, that has been filtered to us through our whole lives. That in your 30s you look back at relationships like like that and you're like, why the fuck did I want to keep that person around me? So this is the thing that another thing that I think we need to be aware of patriarchy doing to us and that is needing to maintain a man's good approval of us and a man's good opinion of us. So you've broken up and, I mean, let's just leave aside the fact that there are feelings there and at Salma, as you said, you need to disentangle yourself from that. There's also that sense of I think when you break up with someone who has gaslit you and who has made you feel like you need to earn their good opinion all the time that it's very difficult for you to to come to the realization that actually once you've broken up their good opinion means fuck all anymore and you don't need it to thrive and live a fulsome happy life. I'm curious as well as to what is driving the desire to be friends aside from familiarity and because I think that there is some of that to do with it but I also think that it's you mentioned that he really wants to have a cool girl, so it almost feels like it's proving to him that you're cool enough to to kind of like handle the breakup. You're cool enough to not be, you know, dramatic or what? What all of these words that men use to talk about women? Oh, she, oh she's just had so much drama. You know, there was so much. Drama. No one more fucking dramatic than men. Let's be honest.
0: <laughs> that is so true. <laughs>
1: Who is it that's reporting your fucking posts?
0: Literally, it is men that bring all the drama to the table. And they've done it so cleverly because they've kind of made out this huge marketing campaign that it's us that are dramatic. So actually, we can't say anything. You hurt my feelings. Oh, why are you always so dramatic? (laughs) Yeah, I'm fucking dramatic. And proudly so. I will stand on top of a building and scream my drama out, okay? Yeah, I think this is, you're trying to be a cool girl here, little sister. And I think what's better than being a cool girl is being a raging, furious feminist girl instead. So be that instead.
1: Yeah, lean into your friendships with women. And you you know, she says that she's leaning into her feminist fire. You'll probably find that at some point, I mean, once those, once the chemical, uh, even if you, so if you take an enforced break, Again, Selma, as you said, it's necessary to disentangle. Even in the most loving relationships where there is absolute 100% mutual respect, if you break up, you need to have some time apart from each other because it just becomes a little bit too confused and probably the intimacy starts building up again and then you feel resentful and then what happens if, you know, he may hook up with another person and you'll feel betrayed in some sense, but you have to be the cool girl. So you can't say anything about it because you are broken up now and you'll just end up hurting yourself. So there has to be a little bit of a break. Once you've kind of got that chemical rush out of your system, not only will you realize that living by yourself and leaning into that feminist fire will give you all the answers that you need, but you'll actually look back at him and be like, why do I, why am I even trying with this person? Like, why would you want to spend Anytime with someone who is proudly described as a boy's boy. Mm. I mean, what does a boy's boy mean? It means fundamentally that he prefers, that I think when we talk about girls' girls, there is something different that functions under patriarchy. Girls support each other under an oppressive system. Men have solidarity with each other in an oppressive system that gives them power. And those two power dynamics are very different.
0: Absolutely. I'd say get rid of him. You don't want him in your life.
1: Well, that was a quick, quick answer then. I think just get rid of him.
0: Closed case.
1: (laughs) All right. This is a really good one to end on. Man Hater writes, I'm 31 years old, and like most women, I've had a succession of less than worthy boyfriends. One was abusive, the rest were just plain jabronis. Between the ages 14 to 27, I was single for only three precious years. I've had three long-term serious relationships, and while I think every experience is an opportunity for growth and learning, I mourn those formative years and I wish I'd invested them in understanding myself rather than morphing my identity to fit whatever that particular boyfriend desired. I've been single now for over three years and I've got to say, I've never been happier. I'm not sure I can go back. I live on my own. I love my own company. I have no children and I'm enjoying life pleasing myself. I feel empowered and unapologetic about it. I made a pact with myself that I'd be single for my entire 30s and be utterly selfish. I'd pursue the life I'd always wanted and get to know myself in ways I never had before. And maybe I'll be single for the rest of my life and I'm excited about that. The thought of having a relationship doesn't interest me. Yet at the back of my mind, there's a voice asking if cutting out men entirely would be a mistake. Aren't we supposed to be undateable beyond 40? Am I wasting the rest of my quote unquote youthful years? Like interview practice, is it important to date lots of men so that I have a hope of finding one that isn't a total douche canoe? Should dating and romantic relationships still be a goal, just not the goal? And plus, a shag would be nice, you know. Salma.
0: She sounds like someone I would go out for dinner with, 100%. Um, Yes, a shag is always great, but let's just detangle that for a second because you don't need a boyfriend or a long-term relationship to get a shag uh, at all. And I get that if you might not be comfortable with casual sex, there's still other arrangements that you can make and you can have a sexual relationship with someone that is based on friendship and it's not romantic. Like, there are ways to get laid And get yours, sis, and it doesn't have to be in a long term relationship. So let's not be afraid of saying that out loud and just being really open and honest about that. I have a very comprehensive black book, great, um, that has been, you know, revitalized over the years every time my politics changed. So I had to change the the black book. Um, But also, here's the thing that I think is at the crux of this, and that I think is still massively difficult for women. And I am doing everything in my life to make it easier. We are still afraid to be single and to be alone. And I get that that's because the society we live in doesn't make it easy. Actually, to be a single woman in this world is impossibly difficult because all the structures are set up against you, all of the stereotypes are against you. But we are afraid to just openly live unequivocally selfishly for ourselves. And I think it sounds like you're in that space where you want to. So let me. Go for a bit of context. I've been single for almost seven years and I have never, ever sworn off men in that way. Like you do not have to make a definitive decision and say, okay, no men, no men, no men and then be gloriously single. And if someone steps into your life, refuse them even though they seem nice. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be stringent about it. But here's my policy and I hope this helps. My love life is not the main event and it never will be. I am the main event and my goals and my purpose and my work is the main event. That's what I'm gloriously excited about. Now, if someone comes into my life, a lover, a boyfriend, a husband, then that's lovely and I will enjoy that. But even if I fall in love tomorrow, he is still not the main event. I do not think that getting a man and getting married is the ultimate measure of success in our world. And that's exactly what our world says. No matter what you've done that's great in your career or in your hobbies or your activities or your interests, people still turn around and go, are you in a relationship? Do you have a man, are you getting married? Because we still say that's the goal. That's what success looks like. I've given two fucking TEDx talks and my granny still turns around and goes, have you met anyone yet? Granny, I gave two fucking TED talks. That's way more impressive than meeting a man, quite frankly. and. Took a lot more effort, FYI. So you need to shift the focus, my love, so that you're the main event. And if anyone comes in and your heart so desires to explore that, then fine, go for it. But you always must be center stage. The spotlight must always be on you and you can live the most glorious fucking life. Because I've had seven years of incredible achievements and goals and great fucking sex. They're just not the main event and never will be. And have that as your philosophy, You can
1: live brilliantly. It's so frightening for so many women to confront that and I wish that more of them could and would. In fact, I wish all of them would because it's so true. You know, women are so used to, in in every aspect of our life, women have been trained particularly women in heterosexual relationships or or who live in a heterosexual context have been trained to um aspire to sacrifice that we we recommend ourselves by being the most sacrificial woman we can be or we think that you know everyone else will judge us and judge our worth if we aren't partnered by a certain age. And again, that word has come up, partnered. And we're really, what does that mean? If we haven't signed up to be someone's unpaid fucking cleaner and therapist and calendar planner and parent to their children, if we haven't signed up to do that, if we haven't found a man to pick us for those things, then somehow our life has just sort of fallen short a little bit. Because the idea that women could make themselves the main event, as you say, is baffling to people like well what does that mean the main what do you mean you don't need a man what do you mean you don't need a man one of the biggest lies ever told to women is that we need men more than they need us Mm. women don't need men we we are actually very good at living fulsome lives happy lives by ourselves as evidenced by the fact that so many women once they divorce after 50 or if they become widows stay single uh but You know, so many men do not. It's men who need women to facilitate their lives and to facilitate them making them. Men can only make themselves the main event, as you say, by having women plan it for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel like this woman actually is on the page that you're on. Like she subscribes to the book of Salma. She's like, I am the fucking main event. I want to be the main event. She also, in her letter, it was a very long letter, so I had to cut some of it out. She goes into some um, particular trauma that she's experienced in the past year. Some of it involved uh, surgery to do with health issues and some of it involved being subjected to sexual violence at the hands of a man. A man chose to do that to her. It's very understandable, particularly in the context of what we spoke about at the start of the show. It's, it's completely understandable that she would want to cut men out of her life and for anyone to not get that means that they don't really care about the trauma that women suffer. I feel like what she's responding to, to though, again, is that it's the like the whispering voice in her head of patriarchy that's like, but what about a man? You'll be unhappy without a man. Like she knows that she's happy without a man but It's like she doesn't want to cut her nose off to spite her face.
0: Yeah, and it's absolutely that. It's almost like she's fighting it because, like you said, she's there, but she's fighting it because she's like, this is alien and this isn't how we're supposed to be programmed and this isn't how we normally think. Just lean into it and reevaluate your idea of what having a man looks like. I know that for me, as the feminist that I am and the woman that I am, I know that it is incredibly difficult for me to be with a man because there are not that many men who have done the level of work that I require. They just don't fucking exist. Don't turn around and tell me, there's a good guy around the corner. There probably is a good guy around the corner, but he still refuses to go to therapy, doesn't understand that female pleasure is important and is also quite happy for me to do most of the housework and the cooking. Okay, that's the good guy that's around the corner. That is not good for me. Actually, that's pretty diabolical for me. For my standard of a man, I know that my life will mostly be empty of men, right? So I reevaluated what that looked like for me, you know? I was like, cool, maybe that's an incredible friend that I love that we have sex together, but neither of us want to be with each other so that my needs are fulfilled in that way. Maybe I'll meet a guy and we'll have a wild, passionate romance for a year, or two, but then I'll be gloriously single again. Maybe I'll be with someone for five years and then it'll be me again. Maybe I'll be with someone for a month and then it's me again. I'm always bouncing back to me. It's always the idea of me. I have completely let go of the notion that I need to find one man for the rest of my life. I hope I'm a bit like Jane Fonda. And when I'm older and like 60, I hope I'm having like illicit sex affairs with someone. Do you know what I mean? Like, I hope that's what I'm doing. Just living this really bright life. And even at an older age, just meeting new men that I go on rendezvous with. Like, reevaluate what that looks like and just lean into it, because it sounds like you're there and it sounds like you're living a beautiful time away from all these bullshit men. And your heart will change. Your heart will shift. What I always say is I believe that humans are fundamentally wired for connection and companionship. So there will, will always be a natural yearning for someone. I find that, because I'm such a tactile loving person I have so much love to give that of course I get that yearning I get that yearning to like give parts of my life to people I get it um so your heart will naturally just go through rhythms and in four years time you might be like in such a different place that it's natural for you to have a guy in your life for a few months and then maybe you'll be back in a place where it's not just lean into it and let it be I am the love of my life so Keep saying that to yourself every single day. And you might meet someone who you're with for 40 years, you might meet someone you're with for the rest of your life, but if you're meeting them, when your philosophy is, I'm the love of my life, I'm the main event, you can add to my table, but you can never take from it. That's a fucking beautiful place to be. And if you do meet someone tomorrow that you're with for the rest of your life, you'll meet the right fucking person who can deal with the fact that you're the main event and you're the love of your life and they do not get to take away a single ounce from you and your dreams and your goals.
1: Well said, I uh, can you be the love of my life too,
0: Selma? <laughs> oh yes, all the women are the loves of my life also. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. Please, if you like it, then consider rating and reviewing it because it's really nice to have feedback. If you enjoy the hotline, you can support the ongoing making of it at my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford where pledges of more than $10 per month receive access to a bonus monthly episode of the Hotline, only available for download to subscribers. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous. We are big sisters and we've got your back. And while you're in the market for good podcasts, remember you can download Adore Beauty's Beauty IQ Uncensored podcast. It's weekly, it's funny and it'll tell you everything you didn't know you needed to know about the beauty stuff they don't tell you in the magazines, mainly because hosts Joanna and Hannah are as real as shit and understand that other women are too. Download it where you get your podcasts. We've had such a beautiful evolution of questions this week. You know, we've had a, a woman sort of at the start of her romantic choices with men to one who's looking at how her life will look on the other side of that choice and then finally to this woman that's chosen to make herself the main event as you say um there is a lot in there for women hopefully listening to see that you know you don't have to you definitely don't have to stay with someone who is making you work for their good approval you don't have to stay with someone who is making you educate them on the basics of your own humanity and you can be enough for you Salma El-Wadani, you are definitely enough for me. You're a poet, a feminist, a mother of dragons, an otherworldly goddess. You are about to release your first book. Tell me quickly about that.
0: It is a story about three young Muslim women all trying to navigate their identities in a world that doesn't want them to be brown or Muslim. But it is also just about their loves, their stories, their lives. And at the very heart of it, it is a love story. But it is a love story between women and how important it is to have women in our lives. And actually, when the women aren't in our lives, everything falls apart.
1: Do you have a publication date, roughly?
0: No, pending, don't stress me out. I need
1: to finish my edits. Amazing. Uh, If you have enjoyed listening to Salma El-Wadani today, which I'm confident that all of you have, you can follow her on Instagram at Salma El-Wadani or on Twitter at written by Salma please do go and follow her particularly on Instagram her posts are amazing her poetry is I wanted you to read some poems today actually but we just didn't have time so please go and read her poems they are challenging they're ferocious they're everything that you want from the woman who was going to lead you into battle <laughs> Salma
0: you're amazing. Babe, amazing thank you light up my life thank you so much I'm so glad you're in it thank you for having me on
1: It was an absolute pleasure. Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open.